Love this passage from Luke 13. Uh, it's one of the few places in the Gospels where we get to see a little glimpse of what it's like in the culture that Jesus is living in. Uh, it's almost as if Jesus has um, opened up the front page of the newspaper and he sees uh, the headlines and he begins to comment on the headlines. We don't get a whole lot of, of, of knowledge about what's going on, but here's, here's two current events that are going on for Jesus. The first event is about this Galileans, these, these worshipers of God, these Jewish people who have come and they have, um, they have uh, been offering their sacrifices in the temple. And Pilate, the same Pilate who later on will come into Jesus' life and be the one who declares the pronouncement of, of judgment upon him, ultimately sending him to the cross. Pilate has attacked these Galilean worshipers, probably because they were a part of some sort of a, a movement to overthrow their Roman overlords, and he came in and murdered them in their place of worship. Well, this is happening even in our day, right? I mean, the AME church in Charleston, where they were having a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night, and the young man came in and attacked them and brutally killed so many. Uh, just this last couple of weeks, Christchurch, New Zealand, a group of Muslim uh, uh, worshipers in their, in their uh, mosque were attacked and brutally killed. It's not been very long since a, a synagogue in Pittsburgh was attacked and Jewish worshipers were killed. It happens uh, unfortunately, all too often, just as it did in Jesus' day. And th it's clear that, that for Jesus, he, he recognizes the moment, and he turns the headline of the front page, and he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Which is kind of a funny joke, you know, all Galileans are, are, are sinners, could be the response. But, uh, but he says, no, he says, unless you repent you too will perish. It makes it extremely personal to those who are listening, who are trying to get their minds around this terrible, tragic current event. And then he takes it from there, and perhaps because some might think, well, all Galileans are sinners, he brings it home to Jerusalem, and he talks about the, the pool, you know, the pool of Siloam. It's where the, the man is that uh, is waiting for someone to put him into the, into the water so they could be healed, and Jesus heals the man. Well, right near that same pool, apparently there was a tower that was being built in Jerusalem, and the tower fell over, and it killed 18 people. Another headline from the newspaper but Jesus sees the moment and he doesn't, he doesn't let the moment pass. He reminds them, he says, do you think that these who live in Jerusalem, see now he's talking about Judeans, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other Jerusalem citizens because they had this tragic event happen to them? He says, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Again, he brings it very closely to home. You see, in the first century, it was very common for people to make the assumption that if something tragic happened to you, if you got run over by, you know, a donkey or whatever, you know, that somehow you had brought that upon yourself, that you had uh, caused that terrible thing to happen. You, in other words, you were, you were getting what you deserved, so to speak. You think that happens today? I think it does. There's still a sense where you wonder, well, you know, 
they did do that, so-and-so, you know, and, you know, as we say in the country, what goes around comes around. And so there's a sense in which maybe they're somehow responsible for the tragedy and for the, the things that have gone on. And remember that passage in John chapter 9 where Jesus is, uh, t- meets the man who's born blind. And do you remember what the disciples say? Who sinned? This man or his parents? You see, the assumption was that somehow that, that only those who had tragic circumstances had, 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 were really bad sinners and they had done something to bring it upon themselves. And Jesus is refuting that. In other places, Paul and others will say, no, that's not the way sin works. There are things that just happen in this world. Not all things that happen bad to us are a result of sin. But, Jesus says, all must repent. Well, what is Repentance. Repentance, it's such a big word. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God. John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God is near you. What does it mean to repent? Well, it's two places. It's two pieces, if you will. First of all, it's to change our minds, our thinking. It's to make a decision that the way we've understood the world is wrong. That looks differently for all of us. For some of us, it means a complete change of our worldview. And others, for others, it's simply a matter of recognizing that, yes, I am part of the sin problem in the world. It's not just sinners out there someplace, but it's right here in my heart. However it looks, it, it comes to a place where we, we make a decision that the world is not the way we thought it was. And where we make a decision that God, in fact, is bigger and more complex and merciful and righteous than we can even imagine, and we begin to alter the way we think about him. I love the Old Testament passage, and I'm going to just touch on the old, all the passages today very, very briefly, but just to remind you of that Exodus passage, you know, Moses is, not Jesus, but Moses is walking in the desert. He's with his father-in-law's flock, and he sees this burning bush, And the scripture is really, the narrative is really clear. It says that Moses sees the burning bush and he decides that he's going to go over and check out the burning bush. And then it says, and when God saw that Moses had turned aside to investigate, he speaks to him. And I love to make the point, especially when I'm talking to youth, that, that you wonder what would have happened if Moses had not bothered to turn aside to change his mind, to make a decision that I'm going to go and check out this burning bush. You think, who would pass up a burning bush? Well, people all the time do it. They avoid the plague. Like the plague, they avoid all sorts of anything that smells of supernatural. They just want to be in their, their little world that's calculable and that's, that's consistent and it's routine. And they no more want to check out a burning bush than a man in the moon. But Moses has the courage to change his mind. But then Moses doesn't just decide, I think I'll check out that burning bush. He then alters his action. He takes his body and he turns it. You see, repentance is more than just a change of mind. Scriptures say in James, you say there's one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. It's more than just what you believe in your mind. It's what you live out with your body, with your mind and your actions. There's a great book by a guy named James K.A. Smith. It's called You Are What You Love. And Smith makes the point that we're not simply brains on a stick. 
that we're bodily people and that what we do with this body matters. Where we take our bodies, what we do with our bodies, what we do with the holistic person that we are matters. You coming to church this morning, gathering with other believers, you coming together. Sean and I were talking about a Beatles song, Come Together. But, you know, in that way we can redeem that song because that's exactly what we've done. We've, we've come together this morning. What we do with our bodies matters. You are what, what, you, you, are what you love. In other words, what you do. It really changes your mind. It's repentance. It's mind change and it's body change. It's actions as well. It's the holistic thing of, of beginning to change. That's what repentance is. And that's what Jesus calls these front page headline news listeners to take a look at. Not to speculate about the state of the sinfulness of those who are involved in tragic events, but to recognize the need that each of us has to repent, to change our minds and our actions with regard to what we say we believe. Jesus then goes on to tell a parable, and I, I, I love this parable. I love trees. My kids and my wife know how much I love trees. Uh, James, uh, James uh, Dr. Jim Malthrop just gave me a book called The Secret Life of Trees, which I'm interested in getting into. Haven't read it yet, but I, I, but I love trees, and I love the fact that Jesus so often will use uh, parables that involve trees. And here he has a fig tree. And he talks about a, a, a landowner in, the, in Luke 13, this landowner who is, um, he's got this fig tree, but it doesn't produce any fruit, no figs. And where's Kathy Ayers? Kathy has this crazy story. When Kathy was a little girl, she planted some orange tree seeds. And her mother let this, this little orange tree grow for 25 years, Kathy, before it produced any fruit. That's just ridiculous. I would have cut that thing down after the second year. My granddaddy had no patience for fruit trees that couldn't produce fruit. But Kathy, your mom was a saint, clearly, because she let that tree grow. But the the landowner comes and he sees this this unbarren fig tree not producing, and he's ready to cut it down. But Jesus telling this parable says, but the vine dresser says to the landowner, wait, not yet. Give me one more year. Let me tend the soil around the fig tree. Let me add manure, which is fertilizer. And let me help this fig tree grow. And then give it another year to see if it produces fruit. Now, who in the world do you think the vine dresser is? (laughs) It's the Sunday school answer. It's right this time. Jesus, right? It's our Lord. He's the vine dresser. It's almost like God the Father is the landowner, and he's he's righteous, and he sees this this fruit tree not producing, and he says, "It's, it's time to judge. It has no fruit. Jesus, the vine dresser, says, no, no, let me let me tend to this tree. Now, I want to make sure you're, you're clear on this, because sometimes it gets confusing. We oftentimes in scripture we use metaphors of fruit being works. And it's important that we, we do righteous things, we do works. Uh, but in this particular parable, what, what the fruit that the landowner is looking for, the fruit that Jesus is talking about in the parable, is not works of righteousness, but it's the work of repentance. 
It's seeing a changed mind and heart and body. It's seeing a turn away to check a different course. It's coming to that realization that, that I have misunderstood the fundamental understanding of the reality of the world, and I recognize that God is who he said he was, and that his son Jesus, in fact, was the son of God, and he came into the world. It's, it's that repentance. It's that complete change of mind and action. And so when Jesus is telling this parable, you see, you know that because he sets it up. Twice he said, unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he tells a parable and he's saying, I'm looking for repentance. I'm looking for changed minds and hearts and actions that are moving towards me. But Jesus is the patient vine dresser. I love it. I borrowed this awesome tool from Ken Langland. It's, I don't know, it's appropriately, it's orange, and it's called a gator something, I don't know, a little gator or something, but it's this amazing tool. If you've ever tried to pull out trash trees from your yard, how many of you guys are, are, are get out in your yard? Raise your hands. You, I know you have them. You do a little yard work. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen these little trash trees that come out. They are so hard to pull up. This, this instrument, I should be selling this instrument. It is, it is a, a miracle worker. But what happens is that if you don't let those, get those trash trees out, they will crowd out your azaleas or whatever plant that you want to grow. They'll, they'll, crowd, they'll crowd the ground and they'll hinder those plants from growing. So you have to pull those out. This is what the vine dresser does in Jesus' parable. He, he's working the soil. He's removing the, the, the weeds and the trash trees and all the little things that need to be out of the way so that the soil is rich. The, 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 the image is that the, the somehow they're bound up. When Christ goes to the cross, he dies for the sins of the world. He dies for the, the, the brokenness and the sinfulness of the world we live in. He sets us free from the curse of the law and our failure to meet God's standard. He says you're forgiven. You don't live under condemnation anymore. You're free to grow in me. And then he applies the, the fertilizer. And if you will, it's almost like the, the Holy Spirit coming. Remember Jesus says, I go away, but I'll send another comforter. And he'll be with you and he'll teach you all things. And he'll, he pours out his spirit. He, he, in his resurrection, he gives us the power to overcome sin. He, he toils the ground around the fig tree. And then he applies the fertilizer. I love the fact that we get to read the word manure in church. I just think it's awesome. So if you're a fourth grade boy, that's just incredible. If you're a fifth or sixth grade boy, that's just awesome, right? But it's, it's fertilizer. It's meant to help grow. And the mercy of God is that, that in this parable, Jesus is saying, yes, there is going to come a time when if we do not respond to the Lord, there will be a judgment. But the mercy of Jesus the vine dresser, is that he asks for more time in our lives, that he might cultivate the ground around us, that he might fertilize us, and that he might encourage us to bear the fruit of repentance. This weekend, Jody and I were in Jacksonville with Samantha, who's with us this morning, and we were attending the 40th anniversary of All Souls Church if you are new to servants, you don't know, but our spiritual parent is All Souls, uh, as a parish, 
uh, Whitey Hogan, my rector, the one who, who came and did an interim work at St. Michael's and helped sort of cultivate this congregation for a rebirth, which we've done, amen. And, uh, and so, so we take part in the spiritual uh, heritage of All Souls Jacksonville. We were there to celebrate 40 years of, of their existence as a parish. And it was a time of joy and time of rich re- remembering and getting back together with friends. But you know, in the midst of it, there was some sadness because there are some that had been brothers and sisters in Christ who've now departed the faith. And it's so sad. And, 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 and yet, as, even as I was sort of processing that and trying to get the sermon together, I realized the Lord was using uh, the scriptures in my own life to encourage me in the face of what I was encountering. As I heard some of these sad stories. And, and sadly, the bad news is that it's, it's, it's true for us that we don't just repent once, but that is, it's in a lifetime of repentance. It's continually being ready to turn our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our act through our actions back to the Lord over and over and over again. Because as Tim Keller said, our hearts are little idle factories. I think somebody else said that and Tim said it again, but our hearts are idle factories. I have a brand new little potential idol. He's about 11 pounds. He lives in Tallahassee. I find myself mesmerized by pictures of him on my phone. But easily he could become an idol. Keller says that if anything becomes more fundamental to your happiness than God, it is an idol. And Paul, if you missed that second reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about avoiding idolatry and reminding the the people at Corinth that although they feel like they're spiritual, that they feel like they've repented and they're they're falling after Christ, they need to be careful. Remember he says that line, you think that you're standing, but be careful lest you fall. Our lives are meant to be continually recognizing the places we've fallen short, which is why we need Lent. Not to feel crummy about ourselves, but to remind ourselves that easily we can be drawn away from the Lord. I don't know if you caught it, but the colic, take that purple insert home with you. That colic that we have today, the colic for the day, it was penned by St. Augustine of Hippo. And I think the third or fourth century, Father James? Fifth century, thank you. It's always good to have a PhD in history on the pulpit with you. Augustine knew something about the need of repentance. He lived a reprobate life. Lived with a woman that it wasn't his wife. Had an illegitimate child. Worst of all, he disobeyed his godly mother who prayed for him through his rebellion. Do you know this about St. Augustine? He, he, he lived a, a, just a horrible life. He was an intellectual. He thought he knew more than everybody else. He, he was cocky, and he lived an immoral lifestyle, and his godly mother kept praying for him. But at some point in Augustine's life, he confessed he repented. 
He changed his mind and his heart and his actions, and he knelt before in humility before God, and he confessed that Jesus was Lord. And he became one of the great church teachers of, of, of the whole history, history of Christianity up until this point. I mean, he's huge, giant of the faith. But it began with the repentance. But that repentance has to continue in our own lives. Paul reminds us to be careful that we, lest we think we're standing and we fall because we forget the fundamental principle. All of you, myself included, we all are here today by the grace of God. It is always the vine dresser. It's always Christ who has tilled, tilled the ground around us and he has fertilized us and he invites us to repent. He invites us to remember that we fundamentally are given to waywardness, prone to wonder, Lord, I know it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. That's repentance. Seal it for thy courts above. Well, I'm also reminded of the joy of last night, the celebration, and seeing Whitey Hogan now in his mid-80s. Faithful, Whitey was also one of those who repented, who turned away from the life. As an Episcopal priest ordained, he came to a point where he realized that he didn't know Christ as Savior, that he had fundamentally misunderstood Christianity. And in humility, he knelt down and confessed Christ. The power of one man, one woman, one boy or girl who changes their mind and heart and begins to confess Christ as Lord and understands that our job, our work, is to continually have a heart of repentance. That is what the Lord calls us to. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we, we confess, we judge, we, we look for loopholes, and we want to focus, we want to throw the attention on somebody else, just like these disciples are with the Galileans and those who fell under the tower at Siloam. And yet, Lord, you bring it back to us and you say, repent. Change our heart and mind. You're such a merciful vine dresser. May we respond to your grace. May we hear the voice of the master. May we fall on our knees and confess once again that you are Lord, that you're in control. May we submit our lives to you, Lord, and may you continue to encourage us, Lord, that we might stand to the end, that we might not be those who fall away, that we might continue in your presence, nurtured in your grace, until you call us home. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The most important thing you can do to continue to walk by faith is to do exactly what you've done this morning, to gather with other believers, to be encouraged. Oftentimes, I've seen over and over again, 
people who get isolated and they lose their faith. We need one another. This is encouraging to us. You are what you love. As your body goes, so goes your mind and your heart. So I commend to you, well done for being here. And I look out on the faces of these who are gathered here, and I see the work of repentance in your lives, that you have made the decision to change your mind and your heart and your actions. And it is encouraging to me and is encouraging to each of us who see you. God bless you. Amen.